0: Today we return to the sermon series that we were in the middle of when the holiday season came along. We went through the, the Christmas season and um, just to kind of catch us up, uh, in case some of you didn't get ready for today by going back and listening to all the podcasts. Um, we were going through first John and there was the whole idea of First John was to talk about, Uh, John was trying to help the church distinguish between these false teachers who had come into the church. And again, whenever we think of false teachers, we kind of have this Hollywood version in our head, like somehow they looked false, somehow they looked evil. But if that were the case, it would have been easy to distinguish them. In fact, these were people that probably up until the time that it was understood that they were teaching false things, that they, others in the church regarded them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so he's trying to distinguish between that and and he's gone through some of the, the teachings that they had and trying to help them understand that those teachings were in fact wrong and that they went against what Jesus had taught and what the apostles had handed down. And some of the, the thoughts that we've had over the, you know, The key thoughts that we've had over the past couple months leading into that um, was, you know, John's use of this light-dark imagery. And, you know, one of the early thoughts we have is that there's no safe middle ground. There's light or there's dark. There's not kind of light, kind of dark. And he's not talking about everything. He's not talking about everything is black and white and there's no gray areas. That's not what he's talking about. He's specifically talking about... That in your Christian life, that this, this dominant, you know, this dominant char- characteristic, God's spirit, it's either there or it isn't. And if it's there, okay, darkness goes away. Light is there. And the way we experience this, that John is trying to help people understand, the way we experience this, this is because we experience God's love. And so for John, just like there's, there's light or there's dark, there's also love and there's hate. There's no safe middle ground. And again, that bugs us as kind of modern Christians because we like the safe middle ground. We like to be in that area where I don't hate, I don't hate the person, I don't love them either, I, you know, they're okay, I'm not going to get mad at them and, get upset or try to hurt them. They're, they're okay. but The Bible doesn't give us that. And the image again is this image of light and dark, that, that when light comes in, darkness goes away. And the image John is trying to help this, this early church understand is that when God's love comes, hatred goes away. Now, We've drawn a distinction, which I think is an important distinction, between between love and the expression of love. The way love is expressed changes, changes according to who the person is, the situation that we find ourselves in. But understand the the point that John is driving to, and when we get later on into this month and into February, he's going to come out even more strongly. The point he's he's driving to is that if you are a child of God, that if you truly are a child of God, God, that that love is not a choice. Love is who you are. It is your new nature in Christ. It's not a choice. If love is still a choice, if you think you can still choose to hate people, then you've got to ask yourself, do I really have this new nature of God's love in my life? The choice comes in in terms of how we express love. And when we talked about that, you know, the whole idea was that, that depending on situations, depending on the people involved, that love will be expressed in different ways. And we have to really, really think about um, that. It makes it much harder. I cannot just think about how to show love to one person here. I have to think about how to show love to everybody who's here, and sometimes especially to one person. But it doesn't matter. It means that, that it's, it's a difficult task. And so sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we're gonna do the right thing, but we're gonna do it poorly. Sometimes we're gonna go, you know, say something when we should have just shut up. And other times we're gonna sit there quietly when we should have said something. Sometimes, you know, somebody needed us to, you know, provide them with something and other times, no. And and there's no book on this, you know, there's no list of, here are the signs, look at these signs, and this is how you express love. It's one of these things where I'm kind of glad there's no book about that because then there's, it comes down to faith. Oh, the Bible tells us certain things that show love and don't show love. It says, like, you, you murder people, you can't claim that was love. You steal, you can't claim that was love. You commit adultery, you can't claim that was love. The Bible is clear about things like that, but there's a lot of other things it's difficult to know in the day-to-day, which, again, is why we need each other. It's why we need God's Word. It's why we need His Spirit. And so John is talking about that. One of the last sermons that we went through is that, that love has comes at a high price. And, of course, we think about the high price that love is in terms of the price that Jesus Christ paid, and yes, that is the high price, but even in our lives, there's a price when we love because it's not the way the world works. It's the, in fact, the, the Bible makes clear to us that if you start loving the way Jesus loves, the world will hate you. And so we come to... We come to today, we're in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24, and I wanted to kind of start with this this saying that some people um, heard before, it's called, the proof is in the pudding. Anybody ever heard this phrase? Yes, proof is in the pudding? Um, I'm not sure what that means, you know, if you just look at that literally, you know, what does this mean, the proof is in the pudding? Um... And really that's because this is a shortened version of the longer sentence that's been more or less lost unless you have this wonderful thing called the internet. The the saying was the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Now you might think in our wonderful day that that means the proof that pudding is really good is um, when you eat it. And it could have that meaning. But when this phrase arose, it was, it was in kind of medieval times. And pudding is, for us, pudding is that stuff they serve in those cups, and it looks like poi, but it's sweet. Well, that wasn't pudding in medieval times necessarily. There could be all kinds of things in it, and, and there could even be meat in there. And if you know things about medieval times, you know, eating meat could be a dangerous thing. Uh, could be really good, could be, make you sick, and it could kill you. And so when they made pudding with meat in it, the idea was the proof of the pudding is in the eating. In other words, we don't know. Go ahead and eat it and let's try. That's how we're gonna prove it. Well, that was broken down to this, the proof is in the pudding. It's it's a good phrase in in terms of like, this idea of like, you know, something has to be experienced, it has to be tested in a, in a particular way. It's, you know, if it's pudding and you don't eat it, you know, it, there's not, you know, that's what pudding's for. It's to be eaten. And you, you may know people who are really good at, at talking about things, about maybe they're talking about, you know, how good they are at different things. But the proof is in doing it. People who, who are able to, like, talk about being a Christian, they, they talk a good Christianity they can tell you what they believe. They can explain it better than I can, better than you can. But the proof of Christianity is in the living. It's how you live it. That's the proof. That's what John was, was trying to tell this church. He was trying to help them understand that, you know, all these people have, have, are teaching you these these, these wrong things about Jesus. They're, think, they're teaching you these wrong things about what it means to follow Christ. But here's the bigger problem. The bigger problem is how they live. It's how they live. Because their wrong beliefs are not enabling them to live the way that Christians live. And this is really important. It's very important in the world we live in today because we live in a world that wants proof. Before the world will believe, it wants proof. And so you, you, you have, and we do a conference here, an apologetics conference, and, and part of the apologetics conference is to help you understand why a lot of things that are said about Christianity and about the Bible, why they're not necessarily true, and to help you be able to give an answer. And as good as as those things are, as wonderful as those things are, and I cannot emphasize enough for you that we need to be the kind of people who are ready to give an answer. There needs to be proof And the proof is in the living. It's not simply in being able to argue with someone, to reason with someone. As someone said well before I ever did, if you can argue someone into heaven, they can be argued right out of it. If I can give you reasons, and your whole basis for your faith is based on your reasons, evidence in the traditional sense. Someone can come along and present you with different evidence or, or you know, reinterpret the evidence that's there. You can be argued out. It's proof. And the proof is in the living. You see, some people say, well, the, the proof is, you know, someday. You know, someday we're going to have proof. Someday after we die, we'll have proof. Well, it doesn't really help us right now. What is the proof? The central claim of Christianity, we've talked about this before, the central claim of Christianity is that God's standard for how we would live is impossible. It's impossible for us to do it. And the only way that it is possible is for God to do it through us. And so the central claim of Christianity is not just that Jesus saves us, but that Jesus makes us new. He makes us new. And he doesn't make us new simply by cleaning us up. He makes us new in the sense that he gives us his spirit. You know, I sometimes use the modern terminology of he upgrades us. You're now human 2.0. You've been updated. Your software's been changed. You're new. Oh, there's still so much about you that's human. There's still so much about you that hasn't changed. But something fundamental, something core has changed. That's the proof. It's the proof because it's what we're claiming. It's the proof because it's what the Bible says. A few weeks ago, we looked at some of those verses. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Are they new? Or are we just cleaned up old? If we're just cleaned up old, we're not new. We're not different. We're the same. The world needs proof. Needs evidence. And the evidence is not, again, simply reasoning and compilation of facts and scientific data and looking at Scripture and all of that. The most consistent, compelling proof is that you are new. You are different. You are not who you were. You are not who you were going to be. You're different. You're new. And it's not just some general vague concept of new. The Bible is pretty specific about this. And John is in this letter. And this is the beginning of, of this longer section in this letter where he really makes it clear what new means to Christians. but let me tell you something. When you really get this, when you really understand, there's a couple things you have to, 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 to realize. The world is not going to know that you're new or different unless you are in situations to demonstrate it. I don't mean manufactured situations. I don't mean like we do some kind of flash mob at Kahala Mall where we're all going to show how new we are. No. I'm talking about in the day-to-day of life. I'm talking about what happens when, when, someone, when someone personally attacks you or when, when someone says something about you know, what you believe and about Jesus and about the Bible... I'm talking about when more and more there is, a, there is an attack on people of faith, where, where people of faith have been reinterpreted in parts of the, our culture and parts of the world to say the things that you think are good and loving are actually evil. And I'm not telling you that you need to be ready to say, no, they're not. What I'm telling you is, when you're in those situations, there are opportunities for you to demonstrate that you are new, that you are different, that you are not like the rest of the world. And it is not easy. Because if you don't say anything or if you just agree, then they just think just like you. If you get angry and you wanna fight back and you know come in swinging, they go, that's what I'd do how do you respond? We were talking a little bit about this in our Sunday school class this morning. And we were talking about how the early Christians were were placed in situations where they could show that they were new. And when we hear about those, we're like, okay, good, good for them, but not sure, that's what I want. But where did they show the most people? Where were they able to impact their culture in a bigger way than any of them could have done on their own? Well, it was often in a coliseum. In a coliseum that's filled of, you know, with thousands, if not tens of thousands of people coming to be entertained and being entertained in a very barbaric way. And part of it was that Christians would be killed. And I'm sure not all Christians faced it well. But enough did. Enough did. There was a saying in the time that for every Christian who died in the Colosseum, who was murdered in the Colosseum, ten Romans went out and wanted to know how they could become Christians. Why? Because people got to see Christians are different. They don't do what the human nature would do. What would I do if I was there and I'm I'm not a believer in Christ? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make a run at the emperor. I'm gonna make a run at the governor. I'm gonna do something. And if I don't get to him, I'm going to tell him what I think of him before I die. It's not what the Christians did. We don't want those opportunities. We want to kind of go through and be new, but nobody know that we're new. the blood of the martyrs. And I'm not telling you everything turned out well. But I am telling you within about 300 years, Christianity went from, being, went from being illegal. Christians went from being persecuted. And it became the legal religion of Rome. that caused a lot of problems in and of itself that I don't have time to go into. If you want to know more about that, come to our class on Friday mornings when we talk about the history of Christian thought. But the point is simply this, those early Christians, they were willing to give the evidence that the world needed. And so here's John trying to help this church distinguish between true and false Christianity. If he's writing at the time we think he's writing, which is the end of the 1st century, the church is beginning to face persecution under a Roman emperor named Domitian. So what he's saying is not theory, it's not history. It's real. So in 1 John chapter 3 verses 19 through 24, he says this He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. This is the evidence we know. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of his Son Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. He says, here's how we know we are of the truth. Remember, one of the things that John has been doing along the way is he's, he's not been trying to prove stuff with like facts and evidences. He's been saying, you know what I'm saying. This is connecting with something inside of you. You who are believers know that what I'm saying is not simply true because I'm saying it. It's because God's spirit inside of you is is saying, yes, that's right. And so he's been doing that. And now he's saying, you know, how do we know? How do we know we are of the truth? And so he's he's talking about, he says, oh, we, we keep his commandments. But then you look at what his commandments are. His commandments in verse 23 of what John is saying is, Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. He says, when we do this, He abides in us, we abide in Him. And we are known by the Spirit. He says, you want want evidence. You want proof. And the proof begins with you. The proof begins with you knowing. And here's how you know. You have the ability to obey this commandment of believing in Jesus Christ and loving one another. If you've been in church as long as I've been in church, and some of you have been in church longer than I have been in church, you know that there are times in the life of a church when the evidence of believing in the name of Jesus Christ not a problem. You ask any of us, amen, that's what we believe. But that second part, loving one another, you know, that's not always the case. It's not the way we treat one another. There's a of reasons. We have a lot of different churches and a lot of different denominations. And some of them, I would argue with you, are probably okay, good, valid reasons. But a lot of them, it's not the case. It's because brothers and sisters in Christ only wanted to keep half of this commandment. Believe in Jesus That other part, it's optional. Loving one another is optional. It's not optional, it's proof, it's evidence. It tells us that what Jesus said he came to do, he did. We can know that we know the truth. Christianity is not blind faith. It is evidence found in the experience of expressing God's supernatural love, His selfless love, His love that extends even to enemies and those who hate you. And as we've said before, the prime example of this is Jesus Christ loving His enemies while they are killing Him. Not before, not after, while they are killing him. And I know on my own, there's no way I can do that. There's no way. I'm not even going to pretend. I'm not even going to try to fool myself or try to fool you and say, yes, I can stand and as I'm being tortured and killed, I will... Love everybody. No. There is evidence. It's evidence in our experience. If you can, if you can, it's hard because if you actually are like loving like God and you really are humble, you don't like to talk about it. You don't even like to think in those terms because that's really not what, it, what it's about. But, but here, at this moment, I'll give you permission to sin a little. Think, are there moments in your life where you really loved your enemy? Are there moments in your life when you really loved people who hated you, and you love them, and you wanted to bless them, and you wanted to find out, and if you couldn't do it, how God could have their best in mind. Can we think of moments when we did things purely out of love and not out of any sense of self? unfortunately to really know those things it's not enough just to do things anonymously you know it's 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 when you give and and when you when you you know pour out your heart to someone else and they they even reject it you know i was i was sharing a little bit of a story from from when my dad was pastor and, and about how he, you know, he took in this, this young man who was basically homeless. And this young man came to Christ. You know, he got his life together. He, he got a job. And he was very serious about his faith. And within about two years, this young man had gotten to the point that he felt God was calling him to be a pastor, and not just any pastor, but pastor of the church my dad was pastor of. And this man had lived in our home. My father considered him like a spiritual son. And he started to cause problems in the church. He started to you know, spread rumors and try to take over. And at the time, at the time, because I was much more immature, I would have thought my dad was weak because I'll tell you what my dad would have done had, after this guy finally left and took part of the church with him, had another young man who was homeless, who needed help, he would have done the same thing. He would have helped him, he would have loved him, even if he saw this young man going down the same path. And the younger me would have thought, that's so stupid, right? It's not stupid. It's love. It's love with no promises, no guarantees of how it's going to turn out. We can know truth. You can look into your own life and you can know. Christianity is not something that we can know because of something Jesus did a long time ago. Yes, what He did on the cross monumental, important. We cannot have Christianity without it. It's not simply what Jesus will do. What is happening right now? Proof can be known right now. We can know what's in our hearts. See, because that's where the evidence is. The evidence is, is in our hearts. But it's not simply in our hearts because if that were the case, then everybody would go like, okay, so good intentions, that's all that matters. How I feel, that's all that matters. No. It's not just that. It's in our hearts and it's in what we do. You see, this standard of God's love goes against these two fundamental drives that all of us have. Every human being has... This drive towards self preservation. We want our lives to continue. And when someone doesn't, we think there's something wrong with them and we try to help them. And the second drive is that we want our own kind to continue. We want those that we consider like us to continue. And we have these two fundamental drives that, that drive us, and sometimes they come into conflict with each other. But they drive us. And God's love goes, uh uh-uh. It's not about self-preservation. You have a new heart. You have a new nature. You don't love the way the world loves You don't love to preserve yourself or to preserve your kind. Yes, you don't hate yourself. You don't, you know, want to end your existence. You do love your kind, but you don't love your kind only. You love everyone. And so he gives that that evidence, the evidence is that we believe in Jesus and love one another. And again, some people go, well, can't we just love them? That's right, love, right? All all religions are about love, so it's just love each other. And so Christianity, we can add it, and the answer is no, because what did he say first? Believe in Jesus. And why does he say that? He says it because, as I said earlier, the love that is required is impossible without Jesus. The love that is required is impossible without our nature being changed. About going against these two fundamental drives, those two fundamental drives will always win. Unless something happens to us, we need to be changed we must know who Jesus is. We must know what he's done. We must know what he is doing, what he will do. Love and faith are tied together. Love is impossible with faith, and faith that doesn't result in love is not real faith. They're connected. Love is not just what you feel, it is what you do. And it is hard. How to express love in new situations, situations we've never been in before, I, I don't know. We live in an increasingly polarized culture, makes it more and more difficult. Nevertheless, we're called to love. It's how we know God is in us. you might go, "Well, you know what? Um, I get what you're saying. And I'm not even close. Well, that could be true. And if it is true, I would invite you. You know what? Give your life to Christ. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Invite Him into your life. Expect His Holy Spirit to change you. But maybe it, is, it isn't true Maybe you really do have this new nature in you, but you just haven't really thought about it. You don't really know. And I can't tell you everything that you can know, but I can tell you this. That if God's nature is in us, as John has taken pains to say, you're not perfect, you're not sinless, you're going to keep sinning, you're, you're going to keep making mistakes, But what is the driving force in your life? No matter where you are right now in your life, what is the driving force in your life? What's moving you forward? What are you becoming? And if you know that even though you are really bad example of it, or if you know you've kind of gotten off track and and you've kind of gone your own way or you've kind of just begun to live for yourself or live after this world, and you know that, but you know that somewhere inside of there, somewhere in the core of who you are, is God's relentless love. That even though you say the wrong things you know they're wrong even though you know you should have been kinder or gentler you know it and you keep moving towards it i'm not giving you a break i'm not saying hey no need worry about all this no we need to be worried Because how many times do we do the wrong thing before we finally admit that that's who we really are? But if it bugs us, if it pushes us to consider love and to love all people in all situations, if it it convicts us when we, we know we've fallen short, if we're humbled, humbled enough in how we speak and and how we consider our decisions and our actions, we can have confidence that God's love is there pushing us to becoming more and more like Christ. See, what I what I see love is, I see the experience of God's love is. That's where all of theology and all the things we believe, they meet. They meet experience. And when theology is right and we have faith and we follow it and our experience is right, what they are is they are their love. Perfect love. Selfless love. Love that can love even our enemies, while they're killing us. Belief and experience come together in this obedience that comes from love and a love that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. And you might go, well, you know, that's good, I get it. It's kind of hard, kind of complicated, not sure. Well, let me just simplify it. Until you understand more, until you study more, until you get a better grasp. When all else fails, love. Love not yourself, not just your kind, but love. You might be bad at it, love, anyways. I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't have to be perfect at showing love to my wife before she would accept me. I'm perfect now, but it took a long time. Oh, you know, you guys are laughing, so you know. But keep loving, even if you're bad at it. Because if you really love, you'll get better. You could do the wrong thing. You could misread the situation. You could get rejected. You could be misunderstood. Love. That relentless love of of God that's given to us, we love relentlessly. A world that needs God's love. Love because, because you know you are not who you were before Christ came into your life. And though you're far from perfect, you know you're, you're getting better. Love when all else fails.